Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Believing and was based on Ephesians 2 1 through 10. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. Well, for only the third time in 35 years serving as a pastor, I rewrote the opening of the sermon uh, as I was commuting to church this morning. I had a pretty sexy story to start off this message that I think would have um, evoked us, but I just felt God's Spirit compelling me as I was listening to NPR driving to church this morning. On, on Saturday evenings, often about mid-evening, I, I go off the grid to just do some reading, refreshing. Carol and I spend a little bit of time together to prepare for Sunday morning. And so this morning I heard news from last evening that there was an 18-year-old white supremacist young man who had published a manifesto, done a lot of research. He had studied the floor plan of a market in Buffalo, New York. He drove the few hours to Buffalo and he shot and killed 10 people and wounded three others in a predominantly African-American community. And as I was listening, it was like God's spirit was just nudging me, enough is enough. And so enough racism enough conspiracy theories, enough violence, enough of people who are alone and who cry out uh, in ways that are so destructive. And so I know what some people in ministries and government agencies will begin to do. They'll say, we better make a statement, right? You know, we're praying for them. We're against all forms of whatever it is. And that's better than nothing, But it just got me really thinking, what is our statement at First Baptist Church? And our statement is really kind of threefold. First of all, as a multicultural church family with people from more than 40 nations and many different tribes and and diverse socioeconomics, our statement is that we're learning what it means to love each other. And we're learning how to live out the gospel together. And that is a powerful witness to each other as we break human barriers where maybe there's people in our culture who often wouldn't hang out together, but we are united together as one with equal value and dignity and love for each other because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so a statement of of the witness of a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-socioeconomic community. The second statement is as we work toward justice together, Rather, that's the food pantry or Craig's Place Shelter or ESL classes or partnering with ministries that are helping to fight against human trafficking and sexual victimization and a myriad of other things locally and globally. And the third statement of ours is change lives. It's when someone goes from rejected, this this 18-year-old white supremacist said, I'm a lone wolf. When someone goes from feeling like they're a lone wolf to feeling like they belong in community. When people go from despair to hope, darkness to light, hate to love, lost to found, that transformation of even one more person has that kind of transformation who would have been evoked and and perpetrated some kind of horrific crime. And that connects with First Baptist Vision. We're in a three-week sermon series. We're exploring our church's vision together, belonging, believing, becoming. You see it spackled everywhere. Hey, let's say it together, okay? 
Belonging, believing, becoming. One more time. Belonging, believing, becoming. So last week we began our series exploring our vision together. Uh, The vision that we trust God has entrusted to us with belonging. We explored the life of Peter. We went on a journey with Peter who his first encounter with Jesus, Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. There's no way I could belong in your community. I'm sinful. I could never measure up to following you. And Jesus responds by simply saying, come follow me. Peter, come and check it out. I'm forming a community. You'll belong. Come follow me and check it out and see who I am and what this message is. Matter of fact, You'll so belong that you'll be fishing for people. Peter, you have a place you can contribute. Your life can make a difference. And then it's about two years later, two years of of wrestling together with this community who who sometimes have these huge spiritual breakthroughs. Other times they they, they wrestle uh, living under God's grace together. And about two years later, Jesus asks, so who do people say that I am? And there's all kinds of different cultural um, perspectives about Jesus. Caricatures, just like in our world, if we were to go on to social media or ask in the Academy or the latest Netflix documentary about Christianity. But then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, he goes from, stay away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I, I don't have any, I, I can never measure up with you. And Peter says, hey guys, I got it. You are the Messiah. It took two years for Peter and some of the apostles to really fully grasp to be convinced of who Jesus really was. And it'd still be an ongoing journey for them. And so we want the church to be the safest place on earth for people who are wrestling with who is this Jesus, people who I was when I was in college. Um, because more and more people are arriving in churches who have no church background or who have a bad church experience. I don't know how many people among our church family say, I can't believe I'm back in church, especially a Baptist church. I can't believe I'm here, right? People who have so many questions, people with brokenness, people who fear that they'll be rejected, people who need to see the gospel lived out in all the messiness of grace in order to believe the message of the gospel, belonging. And now we move to believing. Uh, will you join me as we explore uh, the difference the gospel can make, the difference this good news of Jesus can make when we come to believe? Uh, will you join me in Ephesians chapter 2? For those of you who are in the house, it's on page 1156 of your Blue Bibles. For those of you, uh, our, our growing online community, both here in Amherst and really um, as a community of more than 40 nations who are back home in many different nations Cue up your, your device or turn in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1156. Three things that this passage brings to life. Why we need Jesus. How Jesus has rescued us. And what difference Jesus can make in our lives when we come to believe. First of all, why do we even need Jesus? Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The author, the Apostle Paul says, you were dead, past tense. You were dead, past tense. 
So what's the source of this alienation of God? Uh, some of us may remember when we felt spiritually dead, or some of us might feel that way right now, when we felt so distant from God. We felt there was no purpose in life. We felt there was this alienation. We felt there was no power to change. We felt enslaved and trapped. And, and what was the source of this alienation from God? Well, the author shares that it's both spiritual within us and it's societal around us. First, it's spiritual within us. Did you notice the word in verse 1, transgressions? Because of our transgressions. It's the translation of the Greek word paratomason. It's a compound word, and it literally means to walk around something, to walk alongside something. All of us, haven't we? We've transgressed. We've walked in our thoughts, in our words, in our relationships, in our actions, or maybe even following along with oppressive systems. All of us have, have kind of strayed outside the bounds of God's loving best for us. We've all wandered astray. But not only what's within us, but we can be influenced by what's around us. In verse 2, there were times when we followed the ways of the world. There were times when we conformed to the culture of our world. When, rather it be sinful practices, or rather it be oppressive structures that we knew, or without even knowing we really supported. In other words, those kind of societal sins. Both what's within us and what's around us have caused us... A, to have a, a spiritual death. We're infected by it. But, but who does this infect? It's easy for us to say, yeah, preach it, Greg, because those people out there, look at their oppression. Look at what's happening. And yet, in verse 3, we read, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Ouch. See, all of us, not just those bad people out there, but all of us have been infected by the worst virus of human history. Now, COVID's awful. Matter of fact, we're starting to see a few more masks come on, which, which I think is actually wise. We're, we're seeing COVID begin to kind of raise it. We just passed a million deaths in our country. How many countless millions in our world, and yet the worst virus of human history is a virus of sin that has infected the thoughts of our minds, the appetites of our hearts, our relationships, <clears throat> the ways that we choose to live, the way nations relate with each other. It just goes on and on and on. And because of this, <clears throat> we became objects of wrath. Now, that may be hard to hear. We don't hear a lot of messages, do we? Like today's featured message is God's wrath unto you. Right? That probably is not going to sell a lot of books, is it? But when we understand it, it's glorious, it's powerful, it's beautiful. And this is what it's about. See, we can't grasp God's grace until we grasp God's wrath. And so God's wrath, if you don't like the word wrath, fine. Put in the word justice. Same thing. God's wrath is because there's injustice, injustice of us toward God, injustice toward each other, God's wrath is evoked. Uh, think about it. It's, it's the same thing for us. Aren't we evoked with wrath? Aren't we evoked with, with this sense of, of uh, because of injustice? It, it arises within us because of poverty, because of child abuse, because of racism, because of human trafficking. We have this wrath. We have this, 
this righteous anger. We have this broken heart. It, it evokes within us because of injustice. God's the same way. Matter of fact, if God didn't have wrath and, and God flatlined, that'd be like someone who flatlines when there's misogyny or when there's injustice or when there's poverty or when there's war. That's not the God who we worship. The God who we worship is passionate about His people. And so when people are wounded because of injustice, God's wrath is evoked. So, so it's not just God's wrath toward those people out there, but our holy God, we've all transgressed. It's just on a scale, isn't it? And our scale might be a little smaller and not as newsworthy, so we think we can find someone else who has done a little worse than us, and so by a scale, we can exempt ourselves from it. But we were objects of God's wrath, of God's justice, because of the sinful injustice in our thoughts and the appetites of our hearts in the way that we have interacted with people. Even some of the purchases where we've made where it was cheaper and we really didn't care what the supply chain was about and who might have been oppressed. It just goes on and on. It, it spins out of control because of the virus of sin in our world. Aren't you grateful that God didn't leave it there? That God didn't say, you know, I created you people and, and you went astray, and, and this virus has gone viral of sin, I think I'll just destroy the world and start over. You see, God's justice could have done that, but God's love instead reach out to rescue us and begin the restoration of our fallen, depraved, damaged, wounded world. So how did Christ rescue us? Well, move to verse 4. But, notice the word but, here's a huge contrast, the hinge of this entire passage. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it's by grace that you've been saved. Here's this but, this, this huge transformation that happens when we believe. Let's remember the New Testament written in the Greek language to be interpreted in the languages of the world. The word believe is the word pistuo. It means trust. It's, it's not only an intellectual belief, although that's needed, but it's that next step of trust. I'm going to take this step and I'm truly going to trust Jesus. That, that when I put my trust in Jesus, my sins are going to be nailed to the cross. They're atoned for. They're done. Don't let Satan keep dredging those up and replaying them. And then I'm now called not to achieve some kind of religiosity, but instead I'm called to allow God's Spirit to partner with me to help me become more like Jesus on the lifelong journey. And if there's ever a time when our culture so desperately needs to see who Jesus really is, in the midst of all the ugly caricatures of who Christ is in the Christian faith, it's this moment in our culture, this snapshot in our culture's journey. But to take us from death to life, why would God do this? Why would God take objects of wrath, objects of, of his judgment, and rescue us through what Christ has done on the cross. Look at verse 4, because of his great love for us. See, we're gracious, we're grateful recipients of God's grace. Now just imagine with me, someone is, is visiting you, and they notice that there's a, a bill on the counter, and, and when you're getting coffee, they look at it, which they shouldn't have, but they're your good friend, and they look at it, and they say, oh, it's the phone bill. And they know uh, there may, might be a challenge, and they pay your phone bill for you. We say, hey, thank you, right? I, I'm, I'm grateful. 
Now imagine someone sacrifices their life for you to rescue you. My uncle Jim saw that my aunt Patty, years and years ago, was dying because of kidney disease. She, she would have died without a kidney transplant. They could not locate uh, a donor. My Uncle Jim, whose health was not good, donated his kidney to my aunt. She outlived him. Uh, probably five or six years later, he died. At his funeral, I officiated his funeral. Great privilege. You know, people were sharing, oh, we're so grateful for him for these different things. And then, and then my aunt said, I'm so grateful. He saved my life. There's a huge difference, isn't there, between being grateful for someone who pays your phone bill, good stuff, and someone who saves your life. Well, Jesus did more than give a kidney. Think about the sacrifices God made in Christ. We often overlook this except Christmas, the incarnation, that, that God became one of us. No other deity in human history has become human not to plunder his people or to abuse women, but to serve and sacrifice for his people. That Jesus gave his life on the cross to rescue you and me, who are objects of God's judgment, to take all that judgment, all that sin and filth and shame on the cross, to set us free to be liberated, to be his beloved children, who are now on a journey not to try to earn anything, but as grateful recipients of grace. See, that's, there's far greater motivation there, isn't there? Checking, I shared this last week. I'm not a very religious guy. I shared also that, what, 23 years ago with, with the search committee, right? Uh, I forgot to mention that, that I'm not a very religious pastor, okay? But, but it's true. Here's why. Because religion to me is checking off the boxes to earn something with God. And then we end up boasting, which we'll come to. But that's not the gospel. The Christian faith is Christ has given his life to rescue us, to redeem us, to give us a new identity. And out of that, we're just growing up into who God calls us to be as God parents us, as God shepherds us, and as God corrects us. <clears throat> so why do we need Christ? <clears throat> How has Christ rescued us now? What difference does Christ make in our lives today? Join me down in verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. A few things that show a difference that Christ can be making in our lives. First of all, we're seated with Christ. Now think about this, when a king invites someone, when the president invites someone, when the CEO invites someone to sit alongside them, what does that show? That shows acceptance. That shows approval. You see, the king of all the universe became human, gave his life for us, and in Hebrews we learn Jesus is not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. So we're, it's as if we're already seated with Christ. We're already in communion with Christ. That's our identity, right? So who are we going to believe about our identity? People at work because we're not performing the way that they think we should? Or how we do on that exam? Or someone who breaks up with us in a relationship? 
Or maybe if our parents were so demanding, high-octane demanding, that, that we could never measure up? Or are we going to believe the God who says, you're seated with me in the heavenly realms as my beloved, accepted, beautiful child? That's your identity in Christ. Second of all, in verse 7, to show the riches of God's grace. This is the difference Christ can make for us. See, when grace changes someone's life, it's a powerful witness in the world. People aren't looking for slick presentations of evangelism. People aren't looking for people with perfect lives because that's false. What's the most attractive thing of the gospel? What's God's primary publicity strategy? It's when lost, broken, hurting, wounded people move from darkness to life or hate to love or despair to hope or who were self-centered and now they're serving their neighbors instead. I was at a Vision New England directors meeting a few weeks ago and this was actually highlighted. I had no idea that it was going to be highlighted. But this was highlighted and so it reminded me of something from about probably nine or ten years ago when I was interviewed by WMUA Radio, which was UMass's radio station. And there was a Sunday afternoon, uh, the WMUA Roundtable. And these were uh, uh, leaders from different social service agencies. And the roundtable was about how, how are services being provided in the Amherst area. Okay? And at the beginning of this radio show, people were just you know sharing, going around. And I shared, and they'd asked me to share about the food pantry and... Um, Craig's Place Shelter and ESL classes, the Freedom Cafe, and at that time we had the medical clinic. And they began to ask me questions about e each of those. And then, uh, probably 20 minutes in, they said, why does your church do these things? I said, well, do you really want to know? Do you really want Yeah. I said, okay. Because we are striving to follow Jesus. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. And because of that, we want the whole world to see the love, the compassion, the justice, the hope of Jesus with our neighbors. Now, had I contacted WMUA Radio and said, can the Baptist preacher in town share the gospel on your radio station? I don't think so, right? But they were asking me. See what happens when people's lives are changed? Do you see what happens when God's grace is expressed and experienced by people? in a community, even as we stumble and struggle with grace to live out the gospel. There's kind of a warning for us in verse 8, but that no one would boast. See, if we're object of God's grace, we have nothing to boast about. Think about it. Christ's followers should be the most humble and confident people in the world. The most humble because we haven't earned anything. We haven't achieved anything. We're just responding to God's grace. So that there's equality at the foot of the cross. We're all equally lost, broken, hungry beggars. No matter what our background or our ethnicity or our nation or our gender or any other human categories, those things don't matter at the cross other than there's this beautiful mosaic that God has created. But, but there's equality there. And so we, we, we can't boast about anything, but we're also confident because our spiritual standing with God isn't about our performance. It's about what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we don't boast. But you see, as soon as we think we've earned something and God owes us, one of two things happens. We either go to bed at night and we wonder, have I done enough, served enough, given enough, shared enough? Have I, ha have I done enough? And we never know if we have to earn our approval with God. 
or we become filled with pride and we boast. That's when you have religious wars in our world. That's when you have religious nationalism. That's when you have a people who feel like they're superior to someone else. We're not superior to anyone else. We've just experienced God's grace in Christ. And we have a new identity in Christ. We want all peoples to have the opportunity to experience that love and that grace and that justice and that hope. And so the author wraps it all up with really the crescendo of the difference Christ can make in our lives. Look at verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's workmanship. This is translated from the Greek word poema. The word poema is for like an artist who sculptured a statue or or an artist who's painted a beautiful portrait on canvas. In other words, we're masterpieces of God's grace. And God is painting on the canvas of our lives more Christ-likeness so we might love, learn to love as Jesus loves, to be compassionate the way Jesus is compassionate, to stand on God's truth that reflects God's character, to, to serve and sacrifice the way that Christ served and sacri- to pursue justice that's in the heart of, of God's justice. That's who you are. And don't let the world or the brokenness within us tell you any different. You're a masterpiece of God's creation. And God's painting the brushstrokes in our lives. To wrap it all up, one of my probably favorite pictures in my whole life is coming up on the screen. It's a picture of women from India. Now, this picture hung in the Freedom Cafe for about six years. Uh, the Freedom Cafe was in the hub. It, it was open you know, five days a week to the public for about seven years. All volunteer... All the proceeds went to a ministry in India that fights sexual slavery and human trafficking. These women, this is the first wave. There were like five or six different kind of, I don't know, classes that came through. These were women who had been trafficked and abused. And they were rescued. And they were given safe housing, legal representation, vocational training, Counseling all with the love of Jesus surrounding them. But when we really think about it, who are these women? It's you and me, spiritually. See, Jesus has come to rescue us. We too were abused by Satan. We too were in bondage to darkness. We too were were kind of disfigured the image of God within us by sin. And Jesus has rescued us out of darkness, out of despair, out of being lone wolves, and has rescued us to be his beloved children with a new identity who are now helping people to belong in community, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, the messiness of life. So we might believe and experience this transformation and go on a lifelong journey of becoming more like Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors. May it be so. May we continue, church family, to be the safest place on earth for God's grace to speak into our lives. And may we continue to disadvantage ourselves to serve our neighbors. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.